Thank you for joining us today. This is Clint Byers, lead pastor of Forward Church. I pray this message blesses and encourages you. I hope it inspires transformative grace in your heart and establishes you even deeper in your new covenant identity in Christ. Now take a deep breath, become aware of God's spirit within you, and enjoy the message. So, you know, we've been talking about in this series, the Zoe life of God. If you've, if you've missed those, just super quick. This idea is based on John 10, 10. Jesus said, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy, but I have come that they might have life and that more abundantly. Say life. life. And the word life there is the Greek word Zoe. And so we're looking at this idea of the life of God on the inside of us. So there's kind of there's two ideas about living and life. There's two main Greek words. The word zeo, which is Z-A-O, is the word live, and it's a verb to live. And we know that Jesus came to make us alive. We were dead in our sin, but now through the atoning work of Christ, we are alive in him. And so that's to live. That would be zeo. You're alive. You're no longer dead in your sin. You're no longer destined for an eternity cut off from the life of God, you are alive in Christ. You're living in Christ. But what you're living is Zoe. So you're alive, but he's given you a quality of life, and that's what Zoe is. Zoe is a quality of life. Zoe is the result of us experiencing what Jesus said we could do. Lay hands on the sick and they recover. He is our provider. He is our wisdom. He is our righteousness. All of these things, right? All of these things that we experience as a result of this free gift of righteousness, being as we should be in the Lord, is a quality of life, and that is Zoe. So, and that's, I'm telling you, that, that can be the offensive part of the gospel, right? Because those of us who still believe in miracles and actually expect them, a lot of the believing, a lot of the Christian world, you know, doesn't see it. So we just, they just kind of take a back seat and make excuses and water it down and somehow attribute it to God's will. But to say that God wants you well, that Jesus died for you to experience life and health just as much as he died for you to experience deliverance from sin and the fulfillment of the law and freedom from the curse and eternal life, this quality of life is available. And, and, it, and it's challenging to preach that to people who have terminal diagnoses and, and have not seen something change in their lives. But you know what? We're either going to believe what the world shows us or we're going to believe what the, the Son of God told us. Amen? As challenging as that might be. And that puts us right in the middle of a repentant process. And, and repentance being, when you see the Word, when you see the truth of God's Word, you got to wrestle your emotions. You wrestle your mind. You wrestle your choices, your expectations to be in alignment with what the Word of God says. That's ultimately re what repentance is. Repentance isn't when you go to God and you convince Him how sorry you are by telling Him all the wrong things that you've done, and then He forgives you. There is an element of confessing your sin, you know, really to one another, but to Him as well. But the confessing of sin to him is it's a cleansing of your conscience. It's within you. It's you doing your part to, to emotionally restore that relationship with him. But you stand forgiven in Christ because of the atoning work. Amen? So I, I, as a believing body, 
that is tasked with reaching the world, spreading this gospel. You know, I, I, I don't want to just preach the gospel to seasoned, experienced Christians that have found a church that preached the message that you want to hear. Right? Because I know a lot of you, it's like, man, there's not a church around here that preaches the gospel in this way. There's not a church around here that, that focuses on the new creation reality and the finished work of the gospel. So that's why I'm here. Praise God. We want to be that. We want to be that safe place for people that are looking for a church that's preaching the new covenant and speaks to your new creation identity. But then I want to take that and pour that out. I want to live it outwardly. Amen. And even, even myself, I want to challenge myself to be a little bit more open and vocal. I remember when I first got saved, man, before I knew anything about anything, and I just had to tell people this message. I hit the, we were living in Buckhead, and I hit the streets in Buckhead and just would let a couple hundred people to the Lord the first year that I was thinking straight. <laughs> just going out there and just talking to people and telling people about Jesus and praying for people, you know? I, I, I'm, I'm my, this passion for the lost is kind of rekindling and stirring back up, and, and I'm, I'm, I want to step into that, and I want us collectively to step into that. So, and, and it's not just about miracles. Ultimately, it's, a, it's souls, right? Winning souls, seeing people come to the Lord. Even if it's just planting seed and you don't see that soul harvested, so to speak, even if you're just that seed planter, let's be seed planters. Because, I mean, what else are we doing? I mean, I, I, I want you to come in here and your life to be enriched by what you hear. Like, I want your faith to be stirred and you personally experience deep and radical transformation, but that you're also then stirred as if you went to a restaurant that had the best steak on the planet that you have ever eaten. And you got to go tell somebody, man, they got a great steak over there. The gospel, isn't the gospel even easier than that to talk about? Those of you that aren't steak eaters, you know. <laughs> so he came that we might have life. And today I want to, it's, it's a simple message, but it's really just talking about that life that's in us, you know. So we, we've talked about this life. What's that life doing in there? The life that he's put inside of us. We know that it's, it's, it's springing up out of our heart. It's a wellspring coming out of our heart unto eternal life. We know that that same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is moving in our bodies, giving life to our physical bodies. Jesus taught us that that spirit, that life that's inside of us would show us things to come, remind us what the Father is saying, um, do all these amazing things through us. But we have this power on the inside of us. You know, if anything, that's what I want to connect with in this series is the reality you're the temple of the living God. So it used to be under the old covenant when God picked his chosen people and moved around with them on the temple and in the tabernacle. And every time there was a temple dedication, the fire of God would fall to receive the sacrifice. Um, th this is interesting. I, I wasn't planning on this, but, but I want to give you this. So every time there was a temple built or a tabernacle dedicated, there's always an initial offering or an offering for anything in particular, and the fire of God would come and consume the sacrifice. And the sacrifice was never worthy to fully consume the fire of God. Now, a lot of people talk about, send your fire, Lord, send your fire. I don't think you want that. 
<laughs> because when he sent his fire, it was for judgment on the sacrifice. But something, and so always in the dedication of a temple, wow, I scared myself on that clap. Always in the dedication of a temple, there was a sacrifice being consumed by fire. Then you think about the, the, the new covenant being established and God's temple being dedicated. Let me ask you this. When was the new covenant temple dedicated? It was on the day of Pentecost when God's fire in the mouth of his people fell onto his new temple at the day of Pentecost. The new temple was dedicated, and that is the church, the people, us. We are the temple of the living God. We, that was what God was doing. God was pouring out his spirit. And here's what's interesting. Because we, the body of Christ, was righteous, it wasn't consumed. Because Christ, the sacrifice, had already satisfied all the wrath of God. So God relocating his temple in the hearts of his believers, not on a box, not behind a tent, not any of that temporary stuff, but in the hearts of his people. When God dedicated his people, his fire manifested as, as tongues in the mouth of those people and still now does. You know, when you pray in the spirit, when you pray in tongues, you're, you're testifying that you're the temple of the living God. I'm going to talk about that more here soon because I know some people are kind of confused about that gift and don't understand it or don't use it. And it's not weird. It's, it's just the spirit overflowing out of you. So that, that's one of those things that the spirit is doing when it's coming out of you is it's giving you a language that bypasses your brain and prays the perfect will of God for your life, as he says in 1 Corinthians 14. I want that. So all of that, bringing it back around to this idea today, super simple idea God's life in us is love for others, or it produces love for others, or it overflows out as love for others, right? So God's life on the inside of us, it's teaching us, it's, it's, it's empowering us, it's helping us experience transformation, it's giving life to our physical bodies, it's given us words of wisdom, words of knowledge, the spirit of the living God is on the inside of you, doing all these amazing things, but also should spill out as love toward others. And I think that if we want to reach the world, now th this is like kind of pie in the sky ideal to think that the whole body of Christ could engage in this collectively. And, you know, I don't know if I have enough faith for that. <laughs> so I'm just going to look at it as more of a microcosm in terms of churches and then even in our individual lives. But I think if we commit to this strategy, we'll see the results that Jesus said could happen. And I'll give you the strategy. It's pretty simple. Ultimately, I'll give you the results. The results are people believe that God sent Jesus for them. That's what we want. We want the spirit of the living God stirring us up, experiencing all the benefits of being in Christ, but stirring us up, making us bold. You know, I think one of the reasons a lot of people don't take the opportunity to let the love that they have from God on the inside of them spill out to others is because we're unsure about things going on in our lives. We're doubtful. Yeah, I mean, people say it's the fear of man. It's, you need more boldness. Boldness comes with confidence. And confidence 
is in one thing, and that is who God is on the inside of you. Seeking first his righteousness. His righteousness is a gift, but seeking to experience that which he's given you. The more you know who you are in Christ and what he's done for you, the more confidence you have placed in that, the more it gives you boldness to open up your mouth. And I think the more it gives you the boldness to not limit the power of God from working through you. We need, we need to get better at this miracle stuff. And I don't really know how to do that other than to believe, right? Just be confident in who Christ is. We, we've, we talked about that in the former series about Jesus with Peter. So just go get that doubt out of your heart. Okay. Yep. Good idea, Jesus. I'll go get the doubt out of my heart. And I don't mean that I'm not trying to be disrespectful. I'm just saying that's where we all are. Are you with me? Yeah. All right. So a few passages. <clears throat> and and I, I would say let's make this our strategy. As an as a individual in the body of Christ and as this church collectively, you know, we're, we're, we're looking at putting some things together for uh, outreach. And it's not just about growth. I mean, growth means we get to disciple more people, but people need to hear the gospel. There are people out there sitting in churches that don't even know that they're saved. They think they got to get saved every time they mess up. Are you with me? Yes, Man, people need to know. So this is 1 John starting in 4. Uh, we're going to read from 10 all the way through 16. But let, we'll go through this slow, and I just want you to think about it. So this is love. He's giving you what love is. Not that we love God, but that God loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. That's love. Love is God sent Jesus for you. That's the simplest message, but honestly, if that's all you ever knew, how deeply have you taken that into your own heart and processed that and thought about that? All the other benefits are true as well, but it starts right here. We love him because he first loved us. He sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Now, I just want to say this here. Um, sorry, I'm jumping around here. I'll, I'll, add, I'll add this in the, in the middle of the first John. This is John 13, 34. This is Jesus he says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. How does most of the world know that we are disciples of Jesus right now? Is it by this? Is it by our love for one another? Or is it because we think that politics is going to change the world? Or we think that, you know, whatever type of sexual issue that's rampant in the earth, that as we point that out, people will know that we follow Jesus. You know, never compromise, never water down, always expect holiness. But man, how much of the world is looking at the body of Christ? I've preached this multiple times, and, and I, I'm not going to say, okay, here's the seven steps of how you can as, you know, so deeply that it's... A, I think the rain is lulling. Strategy. Now we keep going here. First John, God 12. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, 
God abides in us. And so the point that he's saying, no one has seen God at any time, the point that he's making is the way they see God is our love for one another and our love for them ultimately. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his son, uh, of his spirit, and we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. 1 John 4, 15, if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, raise your hand if you've acknowledged that Jesus is the son of God. If I see any hands out there, we'll pray for you to be <laughs> saved at the end. You could, you could say, you could acknowledge it right now. Yeah, Jesus is the son of God. So uh, if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in them and they in God. I mean, how important, this idea of Christ living on the inside of us, it's, it's brought up in pretty much every major doctrine that comes, and there's not that many major doctrines. We read scripture and we think there's all these different things, but there's really a lot of common threads. And, you know, Jesus commanding us to love one another is all brought together by the idea of him living in us, this life of God that's on the inside of us. So the natural outcropping of the Spirit of God on the inside of you is love for one another. Verse 16, and so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love, and whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in them. And then again, a new commandment I give you to love one another. And then... This passage here, I, I love John 17. John chapter 17 is, it's, it's really a prayer of Jesus. And it's right before he allows himself to be arrested. And I, I often think, I'm so thankful that we captured this private intimate moment between Jesus and the Father. And Jesus is praying for us. And it must have been, when Peter, James, and John were nearby and one of them overheard it and recorded it, obviously John heard this in some capacity, but it's such a powerful prayer that, that I think the body of Christ could adapt our whole strategy to what he prays in this prayer right here. There, there's a lot, I, I encourage you, if you want some homework, here's your homework assignment. Go read John chapter 17 and take it personally. Recognize where you are in the equation that he prays through. But I just want to read a section of it today. John 17, 20, my prayer is not, this is Jesus. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Say, that's me. That all of them, now, it's, I love this. Watch, get a mental picture of what this looks like for you. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I'm in you. How unified do you think Jesus and the Father are? That's what he is praying for us to experience as the body of Christ. That we, and there's a list here that talks about what love is that I'm going to end with, but that, that's what he expects. Are we fighting for unity or are we easily offended into division. I, I want to fight for unity. Amen? I want, to, I want to fight for unity, not just because it's a commandment of Jesus, which, which, by the way, 
All the new covenant commandments come with blessings, but there's no cursing with them. Like if you don't keep a new covenant commandment, there's no curse for not keeping it like there was under the law. Just a little bit of good news for you. Why is that? Because Jesus was the curse, became the curse of the law. He was cursed for breaking the law on our behalf. So, but it's, it's just so amazing to me. And it's such a big, huge, monumental thing that he's praying here that there's no way that we can bring this about other than allowing his love to abide in us. Right? Our, our love or his love for us abiding in our hearts and us being saturated in that, allowing that to move us deeply. You know, it says of Jesus that he was moved with compassion and he healed them all. That was his motivation. Making sure that we're motivated by love. But he says here that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be one in us so that the world may believe you sent me. Isn't that fascinating? Are you, are you catching that? So that the world may believe that you have sent me. What, what is it that causes the world to believe? Because that's what we want to know, right? What is it that causes the world to believe? It's when we know and live in the reality that we are as one with God as Jesus is. I mean, if you wanted to bullet point these, this is what it is. What causes the world to believe is when you live in the reality that you are as one with God as Jesus is and that we are as one with each other as Jesus is with the Father and that we are as one in God as Jesus is in the Father. Living in that unity, what does that unity look like? Is this, is this clicking? Yeah. I might need a battery. Think about that. What, what does that look like? I, I think there's certain things that we can look at. It's going to pop. That's Cody's. <laughs> Am I on? All right. So th this is what we're after. Now, listen. Pretend that you're in a strategy meeting of how to reach the world. You know what I mean? Like, like I love this body. Man, Sarah and I are committed to this church. This is what we will do for the rest of our lives. This is what God has called us to do, and we are firmly in place, and this is what and we know. If Jesus were to appear in front of me and he, and he, and he would say, I'd like for you to do this, I am 100% convinced that it's this. I have that confidence, and I'm telling you, it is like nourishment to know that and to be able to live in that. And I want all of us to be living with such a meaningful mindset, full of purpose, that's not just about you experiencing personal transformation and not just about you experiencing the benefits of the cross. And you know, in another category, not just about you being happy and having your dream job and having the right spouse and all of that stuff. I pray all of that for you. I, I, in fact, the Holy Spirit is leading you and guiding you in such a way to have 
all of those things. And even if he's leading you into a type of ministry that leads you into a hostile environment where you experience deep persecution, even unto the loss of life, that even still in that, there can be great, a great sense of meaning and purpose and deeply knowing that God loves you, right? Because that's, if, if God endorses any kind of suffering, it's for the persecution of faith. It's for Jesus' sake, right? Not, not the average everyday issues that we deal with, divorce and sickness and job loss and not making enough money and depression and all that. that that's not, God doesn't endorse that kind of suffering. There's deliverance out of it. There's wisdom for those situations. There's freedom. There's healing for all that kind of stuff. I'm, I'm hitting these rabbit trails, but, but, I, but, but think about that. So that my prayer is not for them alone. I pray for those also who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you and I, as you are in me and I'm in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you've sent me. It, it should be some type of miraculous testimony to the world that we are experiencing such unity in Christ and with each other that it testifies to the world that God sent Jesus for them too. Now, I, I know that it, you'd like for me to tell you the steps. I don't know those steps yet myself. I know the individual things that we can do, and I know some collective things that we can work toward. But this as the goal is our, is our strategy, right? So continuing in John 17, and the glory which you gave me, I have given them. Do we really know how God sees us? What kind of beings we are? Like the reason I think he wants us to know this glory that he's given us is because it produces such a boldness on the inside of us that we then look at this world as a mission. I have the same glory that Jesus does. <laughs> Who do you think you are? Well, I think I'm the product of John 17, 22. I think I am the product of what Jesus prayed for. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them. Again, that they may be one just as we are one. He says it again, that they may be as one as you and I, Father, are. That they may be just as one, because I've given them, I've given them something. I've put something on the inside of them that binds them together. So they are such in unity. Now, I don't think this necessarily means that we all have the exact same doctrine and we become like theological clones of somebody who gets it all perfect and right. I, I don't think that's what it's about. It's relational is what he's talking about here, right? So that they may be one just as we are one. I in them, and he just, he just reinforces it over and over. I in them and you in me that they may be made perfect or mature in one and that the world may know that you've sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. If there is a message, 
and a strategy and a mission that the church at large carries. It is to let the world, because he's talking about the world, that the world may know that you've sent me and have loved them as you've loved me. That, that's, that's our mission, that the world would know that God loves them as much as he loves Jesus. Is that the effect of our impact with people? That they know God's love for them. And I, I hear the, well, but, but we've got to have the standard and we've got to hold this, and, but, but it's truth in love, and love sometimes tells hard things, and love is difficult. Okay, okay, I hear you. Because I have, I, you know, those thoughts get running. And maybe it's all the online people that are thinking that way. Y'all aren't thinking that way. <laughs> but there's all the little qualifications, right? And, yeah, I mean, you let the Holy Spirit walk you through appropriate biblical love, right? We're not wanting to compromise anything. But I, I'm telling you, we're, we, we as a body have a mission. And that is to live in such a way that we experience God's love, that we so support and have love for one another in such a way that it brings to fulfillment what Jesus prayed for, and then our unity with each other, not just this church, but the whole body, our unity with each other, experiencing God's love for us, knowing that we have the same glory. In other words, knowing that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, knowing full well our identity, that nothing out there scares us, nothing out there in the world makes us afraid or frightened or worried. Because we know, I mean, honestly, do you think Jesus is worried about anything? I mean, he doesn't want to lose anybody. You know, he would be heartbroken over people not passing into eternity having received his salvation. But in terms of anything that could come against his love, he's not worried. I mean, you know, I, I think we should be walking in such a deep sense of identity that it just spills out of us to love people. I mean, Jesus broke all kinds of, didn't break the laws. He showed how they really should be applied. But in the Pharisees' mindset, he's breaking the law. You got a woman caught in adultery. You know, Leviticus lays out that if someone is caught in adultery, uh, the adult, both of them, the man and the woman, are to be brought into the public square and stoned. And so they brought this one woman to test Jesus. And what's he do? I mean, the woman, you know, this is like just pe people, oh, adultery. People are looking and, and, you know, disgusted by this woman's behavior. And what does he do? He doesn't judge her. He doesn't condemn her. He provokes everybody else around to evaluate your own heart. It's almost as if he's creating a sense of compassion from them toward her, right? Empathy. Put yourself in her shoes for a minute. I pray that we walk in a deep sense of purpose and meaning to fulfill, to, 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 to participate in the fulfillment of Jesus' prayer. That we get to participate in the fulfillment of the prayer of our Savior. This is what Jesus prayed, and it's all about us. You know, the last thing on Jesus' mind as he's about to allow himself to be arrested is... The unity of his followers, the unity of his family, the unity of his church, and the powerful effects of that. 
and our understanding of who we are in Him and spilling that love out to others. And I get it. It's like the most basic, simple message that we can come up with, but it's where the power lies. Amen? So if you then go and you look at 1 Corinthians 13, ultimately, and I rephrased everything that's there. If you're unfamiliar, um, you've probably heard it at a wedding. 1 Corinthians 13, it's the love chapter. But if you want some boundaries for love, right, because it's our love for one another that will show the world that we believe or that we follow Jesus, and then it's our knowledge of God's love for us, our personal experience of God's love for us, and then how we love the world around us. And if you want to screenshot this or we'll post it up, but you can make this a daily confession. And, and, and even if it's just you're getting this in your mind and your heart to teach yourself, okay, this is what's expected of how to treat people around me. And it's not just being nice people. There's an element of the, his power working and flowing through us as well, right? But that is a motivation of love. Like a miracle is almost the byproduct or the after effect of intentionally seeking to love someone. And, and man, I'm telling you, we have some circles that make it all about the gift and the power. And, and it's, you know, G, so right before this chapter in 1 Corinthians 12, he's talking about, you know, desiring the gift of prophecy and, 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 all, and all about that and the, and the gifts of the Spirit. And he says, however, I show you a better way, love. You know, if you can prophesy, but you don't have love, then you're just like a, somebody banging on a broken sheet of metal. <laughs> if you can do this, but you have no love, you know, so love. I'm patient. I'm kind. I'm not envious. I do not boast. I'm not proud. I do not dishonor others. I'm not self-seeking. I'm not easily angered. I keep no record of wrongs. Now, we're to love the world. I keep no record of wrongs. Really? Well, they're going to get away with it. they got to know that they're sinners. Do they? they got to know God's love. Is it the fact that they know that they're a sinner that gets them saved? Or is it accepting God's love for them and believing on Jesus, right? I keep no record of wrongs. I, I do not delight in evil but rejoice with the truth. I always protect. I always trust. I always hope. I always persevere. I never fail in God. I love that he ends it with, I never fail in God. Come on up, Chris. So, you know, th this is, this is, um, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of wanting to install this as an effort for us to uh, put some energy toward. And I, and I don't know exactly what all that looks like. I don't, I don't exactly know what comes out of it. And I'm not saying we're going to change and try to be some other kind of church, but, but I, just, I, just want, I just want us to be enriched, yes, experience personal transformation, yes, grow, change personally, experience the love of God, rest in knowing that, that you are safe and secure in Him no matter what, but man, others need to know this. Others need to know this, don't they? And statistically, people are receptive, you know, when you speak it in love, that the world would know. That, that's ultimately what he's praying for. That's his goal, that the world would know.
Jesus, we, we just are mindful of your prayer. That as you are preparing for the cross, you even prayed for God to do it another way because you knew what was coming, the horror of being separated from God and passing into the grave, dying the death that we deserved. But before that, you prayed and you prayed that we would know that we have the same glory that you do. You've given it to us. Father, thank you for revelation in that. Thank you for revelation in walking in the reality that you've given us the same glory that the Father gave you. It's so monumental. We, we can't even break that down. But Holy Spirit, you said that you, Jesus, you said that when the Spirit comes, he would teach us things that you couldn't say back then. So we open our hearts to be taught, to be led by you. We trust you. Just say that. I have the same glory that Jesus does. <laughs> Thankfully, the lightning has already passed. I mean, I'm joking, but it almost feels wrong to say something like that. But that's what he prayed. Father, I thank you that we grow in our understanding of the unity that we have in you. That we are as one with the Father as you are. We are as one with you as you are with the Father. And that we as your believing body, we are as one with each other as you are with the Father. Father, I thank you for revelation on that. I thank you that you're opening the eyes of our heart. You're giving us understanding of how to live in the power of that unity. Of how to draw on support from the church, from our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ but then how to strategize and turn that unity toward the world because you said that when we know it, it would compel the world to believe that God sent you for them also. Man, if there's a formula, that's it. And we receive that as our strategy. Thank you, Father. Jesus, we worship you. We thank you for wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you. Father, and, and, and as we are inspired in those moments, we make a commitment to put it into practice. Because any revelation we receive that we don't have intention to put it into practice, we lose it. Just make that commitment that as I experience revelation and as I feel the grace to step into this, I will take action. Otherwise, you just lose it. You know, without, without the intention to put it into practice, it's just a nice service. Father, we thank you so much. Thank you so much. Jesus, we worship you. We honor you. We praise you. Jesus, we love you.